Hello and welcome to the first of a new series of Read All About It podcasts called Extra Extra Read All About It with me, Paul Cuddehy and Chris Dolan, where we talk all things books, what we've been reading and what we're planning to read, the latest news from the world of books, some other podcast recommendations for you and of course, a look at what's coming up on the main Read All About It podcast. We hope to bring you the Extra Extra podcast at the end of every month and we might even give you extra 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 episodes in the course of the year along with extra guests too so as always subscribe leave a review or rating and spread the word about all the great book chat you can get with the read all about it podcast and chris now that i have given us a billing of all this great book chat there's pressure on us now to try and entertain people for the next hour or so exactly extra entertainment you didn't mention the books that we haven't read that we should have read i said we were going to read we'll no doubt uh cover that in the course of the 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 podcast but i did want to start because I think the last podcast we did of 2020 was, well, we did one on books we'd read in 2020 and then books that we were planning to read in 2021. And part of the reason why I was wanting to start and talk about what you've read in the month of January is because I'm wanting to show off because quite a few of the books that I mentioned in that podcast I have actually read. So it's almost like I feel like I've kind of like done my homework. I've got a feeling I'm on a losing game here entirely. So I think you're going to find this is one nothing to you straight away. Well, I tell you, I... I started off because one of the books I did mention in that podcast at the end of the year was a book called A Ghost in the Throat by Diren Nagrifa, who's a, a, an Irish writer from Cork. And it was a book that had been recommended by Margot McQuaig in one of the 12 Days of Bookmas. So that was the first book I read at the start of, uh, I think I started it on New Year's Day. And I genuinely, I, it, it only took me a couple of days to read. I'm not sure that I'm going to read anything better this year. I genuinely totally blew me away. It was It's an incredible book. It's a book that, it's kind of hard to describe. It's one of those books that I've kind of just said to people, you just got to read it. But it's, it's one of these books that's interesting. It starts the very first line and the very very last line of the book says, this is a female text. And obviously um, she's a woman writing about her own experiences. And then she goes back into the 17th century and this uh, Irish woman who wrote this famous poem. But I think it's a book that, that men should read and would really enjoy reading because it gives you this real, a real perspective on female thoughts and feelings and a whole different range of things. And uh, it was a brilliant start for me in the course of the this month in, in terms of reading. Uh, yeah, it sounds amazing, actually. So that's not one to put in my book list. Because you know what I did uh, last year? It was the first time in a while as I actually kept a note of everything that I was reading. So I've actually this month, and I think because I was on a roll, I was off for about a week or so at the start of January. So I was on a bit of a roll. I went from that. I read Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell, which again contains one of the most heartbreakingly sad pieces of writing I think I've ever read and again that's another book I would thoroughly recommend I read Ali Smith's Winter because it was a winter I read a couple of crime one crime book a book called Dark Town by Thomas Mullen it's the start of a series of books based in Atlanta post second world war and it's the surrounding the I think in the post second world war in Atlanta they they started appointing black police officers so it was his story tied around these first eight guys and what they were able to do and the kind of racism that existed in the city. It's a it's a brilliant crime book. Uh, I read a spy, kind of spy novel called Slow Horses by Mick Herron. It's the first in a, a series, which again was really thrilling and uh, I'm going to read the rest of them. There was one book I did start that uh, I have to confess that I haven't managed to, to stick with and it was a book again that I mentioned I was going to read or try and read was Ulysses by James Joyce. I think I said to you before, I read about 60 pages and then I just thought, do you know, I have actually no idea what it is I'm reading here. <laughs> and so I've, I've kind of put it aside for, for the moment. I've kind of, I've, I've held my hands up and said, it's just not working for me. I, mean, I think that's quite common. I've, I've tried it something like about 10 times. 
I remember once doing a, a, I was in Dublin for some reason and time to spare and all was thinking the best thing you can do, you know, in any city is do one of those tour buses. Uh, I remember the tour bus guide in Dublin was really funny. And he says something like, uh, he says, uh, I think we passed by the House of Joy. So me, something was actually, it was, it was actually something that happened in Ulysses. I can't remember what it was now. And he says, so this is where this particular episode in Ulysses happened in Dublin. And he says, I don't know if any of you have read Ulysses, but for me, it's the kind of book you pick up and throw against the wall. <laughs> so there's lots of people who just hate that book. But I do think there's, there's just a certain time, at some point or other, you'll start to read it, and it will just... That's what happened to me anyway, and I've heard a lot of people say that too. And just at some point or other, for some reason, conditions are right. And I don't think I'll ever go back and read it again, but when I did finally read it over a week at some point when I was on holiday, and I just... I remember loving it and didn't expect it. I was again, so picking up, thinking, oh, God, you know, I'll try once again. But actually, I loved it. Because you know that I, I always find now as well, especially if it's if it's a book that's bogging me down, I kind of... Part of the reason I want to put it aside is I don't want to... You know that way if you're really in a role in terms of reading and really enjoying it and you're picking up all sorts of different books, I don't want to end up losing that momentum, as it were. And so I've kind of parked it for just now. And as I say, I'm not sure when I'll go back to it. Well, I wish you hadn't, because I can't believe it you've read already. It's unbelievable. And that's just since uh, since the new year. Yeah. Unbelievable. Are, are you, You're a pretty fast reader. You must be. Normally I'm not, but as I say, I had about a week to 10 days off at the start of January. And obviously, apart from walking, there's not really much else you can do. And... I just found myself just sitting and just spending a bit of time each day reading it. And let's say the first two or three books that I read, the Darren Agrifa one, Maggie O'Farrell and then Ali Smith, they were the sort of books that you just, once you get into them, you just didn't want to put them down. So I think that helped and I've just, it's really just built up a wee bit of momentum for me. Fantastic. So I'm really slow. I mean, I'm almost you know, lip syncing the words, you know, the cat sat on the mat. I mean, Moira can read two books to my one. This didn't happen this time because over Christmas she was reading A Suitable Boy. Oh, it's a fantastic book. Um, yeah, which is about 1,500 pages long. And it's one of the first times ever I managed to read two books to her one. <laughs> it was always all the way around. But my two books were even put together were still less than half the length of her one book. So uh, I know that, I mean, I know obviously the kind of part of your work in terms of the, the, the TV script writing course that you run at Glasgow Caledonian University, there's a high intensity of reading that's involved yeah. in that. Have you then, if you've been able to read uh, many I mean, books at all because of the kind of workload? That's uh, that's exactly my excuse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, just quite fe- I just fed it to you there. Uh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is the worst time for marking for the whole year. Um, so I've had some like twenty full length scripts and twenty half hour scripts. Not only to just read, but to read a couple of times and then to go back and comment on and everything else, uh, and a whole bunch of essays. So uh, the answer is no. Uh, none of the books that I mentioned to you have I got into reading yet, and the stuff I have been reading even then has got to do with with my work. I mean, we're, we're talking about just casually at some point when writing itself like for you and I becomes part of your job it kind of changes things and one of the most obvious things that changes is you actually I find it's very seldom that I can uh, read what I want to read there's always a reason to read something else and so for instance just now apart from all those scripts I've had to read and, and all the essays I write radio plays, and this is the, the, the time of year when uh, you come up with ideas so I had to come up with ideas that I thought they might possibly want so in fact, all I've read really this uh, this year so far in January is uh, Shirley Jackson. Uh, have I mentioned her before to you, Paul? I know uh, that uh, Neil Mackay, who you know, who was on the podcast, I, he's a big Shirley Jackson fan. I mean, she is utterly, uh, she's amazing. I mean, the, uh, the, the famous one that's, that's on television just now and they made various versions of is uh, The Haunting of Hill House. So she's kind of, you know, the way they make her her, her stories, it sounds a bit kind of modern horror 
fiction, kind of ghost-type fiction, but actually she just has a really, really quirky voice and she does really strange stories. Uh, so I've read two, actually. One is a kind of a long, short story, a novella called The Lottery, which is an extraordinary story. In fact, I won't, I won't tell you about it because it's got one of the most amazing endings ever. So I'll let people read that. But the one I've, I've, um, I'm more or less finishing, I'm going to have to finish over this weekend, is Shirley Jackson's uh, The Sundial. The reason I'm suggesting this to for radio is it's a the story of the book is it's a, a family, kind of aristocratic family who own the big house in the village. But uh, they're kind of encapsulated, they're kind of uh, imprisoned in this big house for a number of reasons they can't get out, which seem to me to kind of, you know, echo with what's happened to us all just now. They, they never leave the grounds and they never really leave the house very much until one of them has a vision that says only one person will be left alive. And if it's the right person, they can save the world. The world just being the, the village around about them. So all that seemed to me to chime with, you know, lockdown and the virus and everything else. So that's one of the ones I'm suggesting to, to Radio 4. And I'd never actually read it before. I knew of it. I read a, a number of other books and a lot of her short stories, but I hadn't read this. And it is fantastic. Yeah, it's just it's really strange, very darkly funny. I mean, they, they, they are funny. So I've, I've been enjoying that, and that's, that's still for work, but it's been fun to read it. The other one is uh, that whole thing about how we're all kind of slightly you know, not sure what the, the heck is going on. And I thought it might also be interesting to, to adapt for radio is Franz Kafka's The Trial, that weird story about Joseph K. And he's accused of something, but he's never quite sure what it is he's accused of. Um, and he ends up being arrested and then tried and imprisoned. And again, it feels like a lockdown novel, but you know, everybody's going, what is going on? And what is going, when's all this going to end? So I've, I've kind of been reading that same time as uh, Between the Sundial and that. Well, fingers and crossed. finally, for another, uh, another project is I've got, uh, sorry, it's the same things for radio as well, actually, the possibility of doing Robert Cunningham Graham. I've had a number of ideas about Cunningham Graham. this extraordinary Scottish character who... He was uh, something like about 20th in line to the, the, the Stuart throne. Uh, he's about 14th in line to the Spanish throne. Got Spanish uh, family as well, Don Roberto. He's, he was a laird out in Ardoch and in uh, Gartacharn, just up the road from here. So he's an aristocrat, but he's also an anarchist. He was a gaucho. He's the national hero of Paraguay. I mean, he's just the most extraordinary guy. But the two most amazing, he's a great writer as well, actually. But two of the most amazing things about him is he was one of the first, one of the first signing members of the Labour Party, along with uh, Keir Hardy. So he he uh, founded the Labour Party along with those uh, other uh, people at the beginning, and then he left it. And he was one of the main founders then of the Scottish National Party, which he also then left. Um, so um, because of the whole thing about a possibility of another referendum, I've suggested to Radio Four a, a possible drama about uh, Cunningham Graham leaving the Labour Party and starting the the SNP. So I've been going through a lot of his biographies. I've, I've got four or five different biographies um, and lots of his own writing about uh, various things, political stuff. So I've been kind of scanning through all of that as well. So that, that's as much as I've done in Glasgow in uh, Glasgow in uh, in uh, January. Right. Listen, that's still that's still fair enough. I'm I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to castigate you for not. In terms of the the, the main podcast that, that I do, the very first episode of the. The second series, I took a kind of break in January, given the fact that there was something out every day in December. So the first episode of season two came out and it was Stuart Cosgrove, the writer and broadcaster, who was the guest. And obviously, as, as always, one of the questions was a book that you couldn't be paid to read again. I'm just going to play this wee clip of his a very interesting choice of a book that you couldn't be paid to read again.
talking about your writing, Stuart, it takes us on to the fourth book choice, and that's a book you couldn't be paid to read again, which could possibly be my favourite choice ever in this category. And the book you've chosen is a book called Hamden Babylon, Sex and Scandal in Scottish Football by Stuart Cosgrove. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I was thinking hard about this, but really I could not in my wildest dreams imagine writing that book or writing an update on it. I would say once a month, I get people, whenever there's a big scandal, you know, it only needs to be Alan McGregor arrested in Glasgow for fighting with a bouncer or something like that. And somebody will come and say, oh, Stuart, you should update Hamden Babylon. And people have got it in their mind that this book, you know, was a classic of its kind. Now, uh, the book was originally almost a kind of derivation of a Hollywood Babylon, the Kenneth Anger book. And at the time, it was actually a very kind of original thought. I'll write a book that looks at sex and scandal in Scottish football. But since then, there's been a lot of kind of variations on that theme over the years. There's been a lot of books about bad boys, and I've done documentaries at Channel 4 and football stories about the bad boy 11 and things like that, which are formats to look at misbehaviour off the pitch. And gradually over the times... The tabloids as well have become increasingly more interested in that as a subject matter. So to some extent, I feel the book was of its era and of its moment. One of the things I was wanting to to ask you, Chris, and obviously... I think he's Stuart's the first person to have chosen his own book as one. He couldn't be paid to either read again or write again. Is it something you ever do is go back and revisit your own books in terms of reading? Because I'm always, I'd written that trilogy of historical novels between 2010 and 2012. And I'm always kind of, I'm always a bit worried that some at some point somebody's going to have read them and want to ask me things about them. Because I'm thinking, because I forgot half the things that are in this book. Because I would have to, any of the three books, I'd have to reread them again. But it's it's not something I've ever thought I'd back and doing. And I'm not sure if people do that. I'm not sure they do. I think they probably don't. I, I think I can honestly say that I've, uh, I've got only eight books published and a couple of uh, non-fiction books and a few plays. And I think I can fairly honestly say I have never read a single one of my books. I think ever. I think that even once you, because I mean, I've you know, just finished one last year. So you write it and then you go back and rewrite parts of it. And then you work with the, the publisher. You have to rewrite parts of that stuff. But I don't think I have ever sat down and read from page one to the last page, ever, any book I've ever written. So I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, what you do do is every now and then if you're doing readings of stuff like that, and sometimes you, you decide for a change, really, you know, read it, read some from an older book. Uh, and I'm quite often surprised. I mean, not necessarily was good or bad. Just that it's funny. It, it doesn't sound like it because you, you're doing something else now. So it was what was concerning you back then and the way you had wrote back then. And, and last year for something, I, uh, I was asked to read at the beginning of one of the, the Maddie novels, the crime novels. And I, must, I, was, I was really surprised. I thought, this doesn't sound like me. I can't remember writing that. I mean, I remembered the plot enough. I thought, yeah, I remember that's what happened. But I was kind of surprised at hearing it again. But no, I've never written. So I couldn't tell you if one of my books is one of the books I never read again. So I haven't <laughs> read it in the first place. Because you know, one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I probably wouldn't go back and revisit them. And it's partly to do with in work. So we produce, we're producing magazines every single week. And there is a slight, there is just a slight apprehension whenever you read them back when they come in, because in case you spot something or like a mistake that you, you hadn't spotted at the time. And I always remember writing the Tommy Burns biography and between myself and about four or five people in work, we must have read that proof after proof after proof. 
editing it and, and you know getting all the corrections to the point where I, I think there was a period I felt like I could have memorised it all. See, as soon as it came out in book form, I didn't want to look at it because I thought if I just spot one mistake, it would just it would just absolutely drive me up the wall. So there's there's a wee element of that. If you, I'm sure if you tried to maybe reread your stuff, partly you would be wanting to say, I'd like to work in that again. I think I could write that better. You would write it differently. I think that's what you thought. You, you read old stuff your own, you think, oh, I would write that totally differently now. Though that thing about proofreading uh, is extraordinary. Uh, I think I've told you before, years and years ago, I worked for a, an organisation called Network. They did backup publications for television programmes. And to most, I now can't even remember what it was. It was something that called it the knowledge, the knowledge of the land. And it was about, there had been a series of programmes on Channel 4 about land and land use and stuff. And, and I'd put together the, the book. And it was done with Channel 4, but, you know, really, really kind of, quite a big outfit with proper publishers and all that stuff. Well, we were the official publisher, but it was it was proofread like mad over and over again. And that thing, even sometimes reading it backwards, so you're not taking the sense, you're just looking for typos and spelling mistakes, all that. And just before it went to print, I noticed that in the huge writing, because it's an A4 thing, at the print of the page, the knowledge, the W was missed out. And nobody had noticed that. <laughs> of all the people around, nobody had noticed that. So it's amazing. And the, the book that I uh, just did last year, we, we went to a, a second print run, which is great. Uh, and we've been so much work we've been put into proofreading it that even for the second print run, we had to make four amendments. And, I thought, and I'm sure if you did with another print run, you'd find another four. I think nothing's ever perfect. Because I think your eye, a lot of times, especially when you're proofreading, your eye sees what it wants to, to see or what it thinks it sees. And I think that quite often I've, I've seen it said quite a few times and I've tried it myself in terms of editing your own work is read it aloud because then you're more likely to spot the mistakes. The, if I ever make any mistakes, my fallback line is always, there's only one infallible Catholic in the world and it's not me. <laughs> I, might, I might steal that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're welcome to it. <laughs> In terms of the, this podcast, I thought I would just bring people like bits of book news that have been kind of gathered on social media over the, the course of the month. And, and the first thing that caught my eye actually was there's going to be an Alistair Gray day on February the 25th. I think there's a, I think it's the Alistair Gray archive that you can follow on Twitter. So they've just published the fact that this day is coming up on the February 25th. I presume it's just going to be a celebration of Alistair's life and work. And interestingly, I had bought just at the tail end of last year. He'd done a translated version of Dante's Divine Trilogy, Hell, Purgatory and Heaven, which I'm planning to read. Uh, they're beautifully, as, as a lot of Alistair's books are, beautifully illustrated and laid out and designed. So just even it's, it's something to look at on your bookshelves. They're really great. So I'm looking forward to that. But also, I'd mentioned to you before, I think it's Canongate are, are reissuing three of his books. I'll be Canongate, yeah. McGrotty and Ludmilla, The Fall of Kelvin Walker and Unlikely Stories Mostly, which I think had gone out of print. So they're coming out on February the 18th. So obviously there's still a lot of interest in, in his work as well. So kind of February's there's going to be quite a lot going on with Alistair. That'd be fantastic. I'm looking forward to that actually because uh, I mean, I, I didn't really know Alistair that well, but he was around the scene and he lived not far from here. And with a number of other kind of connections, we, we'd read together a few times. But I'm a member of the Western Bass, and, and he was a resident artist. Uh, he did quite a lot of that. There's a lot of wonderful mosaic stuff. So it's right next to Oramore, so he was going to do both those things. So I did, like you, I love, I love the actual, just looking up there right in front of me, and I always notice about four or five of those beautiful Alistair uh, Grey books, which are phenomenal with the prefaces, and uh, I can't see them properly from here. They're just beautiful things, you know. Um, Old Men in Love, which I completely adore. Which is one of his last books. 
However, that's thing about Dante you mentioned there. Uh, I haven't I haven't read that yet. I knew he was working on it for the last conversation I've had with Alistair Gray. Well, not me personally, there's a few of us in order more. And he was talking about doing Dante. And I can't remember if I said to him or not, but I, I used to go and visit uh, Edwin Morgan because he, when, uh, in his latter years, was in a care home. He wasn't even cared for. He just, he just decided to, to stay in the, the care home down the road here, built at the end of my street. And I went along and visited him a few times. And the last thing he was working on was a translation or, or a resetting of Dante's Purgatory of the Divine Trilogy as well. I actually can't remember which part, but it was certainly Dante that he was working on. And he died in the process. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I better be careful of doing that, uh, Alistair. And, and lo and behold, it was the last thing he wrote. So if, if you ever hear me saying, I'm going, to do a, I'm going to do a setting of Dante, you know my time is up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, listen, I'll just talk you out of it. <laughs> One of the other things that I was wanting to flag up to people, and this is as much to, I think, to people who are maybe listening who are either writers or, or wanting to start writing. And one was a, there's a competition. It's the BBC National Short Story Competition for 2021. It's one of the biggest short story competitions in the, the UK. I think the closing date's the 15th of March, and it's a short story of up to a maximum of 8,000 words. The first prize is £15,000 prize, but you know it's just free to enter, and you can get details online. And part of the reason, again, when I was... When that caught my eye, but the reason I was wanting to, to have a chat with you about it specifically because, you know, winning a short story competition, uh, that I think the Scotland Sunday ran, they used to run the, the McAllen short story competition, which was the prestigious competition in Scotland. You won that and that was, I suppose that was a springboard for you in terms of your writing career. Absolutely. I mean, it changed my life totally. Completely changed everything. Up until that point, I was still working in a network, a charitable organisation. Uh, I was doing some plays and some stories and some stuff's getting published in magazines and blah, blah, blah. But that changed everything. That got me, I should think I had the book deal just before then, but it made a much, a much bigger sell. I got a brilliant agent out of it. Um, it just changed everything. So absolutely, I would, I would, I would urge any new writer to go in for these competitions. Because if, you know, even if you go on the shortlist, it can make quite a difference. You know, publishers and agents take notice and that can change everything for you. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's a brilliant thing to go in for. And the other thing, especially again, because because obviously that prize, you know, you get you know new writers, but you get established writers that enter it as well. But in, particularly if you are just thinking about writing and thinking, how do you start? Uh, one thing that I found online, which I would heartily recommend, is Marion Keys, who's the Irish writer, hugely successful. I think she's written something like fourteen bestsellers. She's been translated into thirty-three languages. Her books are just phenomenally popular. She started a series of writing classes on YouTube, which basically she just sits and talks to the camera for an hour. And, you know, people have been emailing in different questions about plot, character, dialogue, and then she's just talking through her own experiences. And she is just the most engaging person that you can sit and watch and listen to. And I defy MD to watch it and not think, that's absolutely, whether you're going to go and write a book, but just go, that's absolutely brilliant entertainment. But I would urge you, because a lot of the things, I think when somebody like that, who has got such a body of work and has been so successful in writing really popular books that people want to read. She's got a lot to say, so you listen to her because she's, you know, she's been there and done it and kind of almost like taught herself along the way. I can't recommend them highly enough. She's got a new paperback of uh, a last novel, Grown Ups, which is out on February the 4th. And it kind of, I haven't watched the first episode of it. I've read one of her books, but it put me in the mood to go and read more of her books. And, and I think a few people who I've spoken to have been on the podcast say she's really underrated in that kind of dismissive 
phrase sometimes of chiclet, which is one of my pet hates. I think it's a disgraceful phrase to describe any any book because I think it's so dismissive. It's almost like saying half the population shouldn't be reading the book. Anybody I've spoke to who reads her books regularly, I absolutely love them. But you would really enjoy watching her and listening to her on on her YouTube channel. I, I, I'm going to have because, like you, I, I hate the idea. I also dislike the idea that some books are for women and some books are for men. I've never liked that. You know, there are good books and bad books. Um, it's like you know, people talking about westerns on you know movies that are for uh, guys and women don't watch. That's just not true. If it's a good story, it's a good story. But I absolutely fell into that trap. I mean, I really did. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about Marion Keys. I think I faintly knew she was Irish. I'd never read anything. It would never have occurred to me to read anything. And probably because of that snobbery, that kind of thing was somewhere, even though I hadn't articulated it, was probably in there. I just didn't think of her. And then one day, it was just about a year ago now, quite near the beginning of lockdown, I think so maybe March last year, we turned on the radio and there was this Irish woman talking. And I had no idea who she was. And it, they didn't say for ages, presumably because everybody thought they'd recognise her, but also we'd missed the beginning of the programme. And Moira and I were in the kitchen cooking or something like that. And honestly, we were doubled over laughing at times. And, and not just funny, I just thought she was compelling, interesting, fascinating. I thought, who? And it was obviously she's a writer. And she talked about writing. I thought, who is this woman? And I think we were supposed to be going out somewhere. I had to WhatsApp friends and say, you know, so I have to delay the walk for a wee bit, stuff like that. I need to hear the end of this. And at the end of it was Marion Keys. And also, I could have, you could have, you know, knocked me over. And I thought, Marion Keys? Because I thought it was chiclet, it was whatever, uh, whatever I thought, you know, completely wrongly. Now, I still haven't read it yet, but that's just because I've got so much else to read. But we, had, my, my daughter's working in Limerick now, and she's from Limerick. So we, we got Emma a book for her Christmas. Again, it's not the kind of thing that Emma would normally read, but she kind of read it as a favour to us. And she said it was utterly phenomenal. I, can't, I think it's a new one that, that you mentioned there. So, yeah, I, that, she's absolutely on my list. Uh, and she's very much on Moira's list too which you wouldn't have been before. So it's interesting isn't it, how podcasts and, and just actually meeting somebody, albeit just on, you know, on the radio or on podcast or whatever, can completely change your mind. Uh, in, a way, in a way, it's kind of wrong. You should just have liked the novels and that's it without knowing anything about the person. But there's no doubt she is such an engaging and funny character. And I now can't wait to read her. We shall have some more book news later on in this extra, extra episode of the Read Aloud podcast. But having spoke about some of the books that, We've already read, or I've already read this month. Uh, what I wanted to ask now is what you're currently reading, Chris, or are you still just kind of stuck in, kind of, as you mentioned earlier on, the things you're reading just now are all to do with work? They are, actually. The one I didn't mention there, because I haven't quite, st- well, I have started, I started just the other day there. So yeah, freelance writer's life, particularly for me next year, I'm hoping to be doing more writing. I'm, I'm trying to kind of, you know, work up things I really, really want to do. Um, so yeah, I'm, the scripts and the essays are by and large finished. They, they go on a wee bit until about the middle of February, but that's kind of coming to an end. Um, I'm, I'm almost finished The Sundial by Jackson. But the other thing I'm, I'm reading or trying to read is In Satire of the Three Estates. So it's not a book, it's a play. It's uh, by Robert Lindsay. And it was uh, first performed in, I'm just double checking, it's 1532 or something. 1552, I think, was his first performance. And it's kind of about the Reformation. It's a big, long, massive, big kind of classical type of play, all written in really, really old and quite difficult Scots. It's very difficult uh, to read. It's been revised several times. It was revised in the 1930s, apparently wonderfully. And then John McGrath, 784, revived it again in the 80s. It's had various different kind of iterations. And these times it's been revised before. It's tended to be, certainly John McGrath's version was very different to me. It was really the relationship with the, the, the 500-year-old text was pretty slim, really. He used it as a way of, of basically slagging off Tony Blair and that whole kind of politics of the 1980s. 
So when somebody came to me with it, actually, with the possibility of doing this for next year, of having an open air, because it's a massive cast, I mean, you're talking about, you know, 30, 40 people on stage, and, and even the core cast is still about, you know, 10, 15 people. So, I mean, it's really huge. It'd be too expensive to put on anywhere in a theatre. Um, so we're, we're home to do it with drama students and things like that and do it outside, quite possibly in the cloisters of Glasgow University. I mean, it may not happen, but I'm really excited by the idea. So I've been trying to read this uh, this 15th century, 16th century Scots, uh, which actually, once you get your eye into and, and particularly if you read it out loud, that's the secret to everything, read everything out loud, then you actually begin to understand that a bit more. However, I've just been, I've just been uh, reading it, uh, starting reading it now. I, I kind of I quickly through it before and I, I knew about it. But I'd said to the, the, the people I'm working with, said that uh, what I'd like to do is actually not do what everybody else has done, but actually try and keep it as close to we possibly can the, the original play in a slightly more understandable Scots. If you put it on in that Scots, nobody would have a clue. They'd all walk out after about 20 minutes just saying, I have no idea what's happening there. But it's funny, the more I've read it and the possibility of when it might go on, because we're looking at probably now autumn next year, even for outdoor things, I think we're probably looking at autumn. So to try and make any plans for summer is probably a daft idea. Now, if it comes off, then the COP conference in Glasgow is in November. So I've turned, I've turned my argument entirely on its head and I'm now saying, you know what, actually... We should completely change it utterly, use the same characters, but actually it's all about the environment and it's all about what's going to happen and stuff like that. So uh, I've been reading that and really enjoying reading that and trying to think of ways in which a modern audience and how you can interpret it and do it differently. And I've started writing it, but I'm taking the odd speech from it that I like and just mucking about with it and seeing what I can do with it. So that's kind of what I'm reading now. The other thing which I suppose I have done, which I said I would do a wee bit in our last podcast a year, Paul, is... I said I was going to try and read more poetry because I'm, I'm famous of writing more poetry. Uh, and I actually had a, a poem published uh, published online. And it's a, it's a guy called Hugh McMillan, who's a, who's a very good poet, actually. Um, and he has a thing called Plague of Poems. He's got a number of different kind of magazines and online magazines that he runs. But one's called A Plague of Poems, obviously all to do with uh, lockdown. And so he, he, he put one of mine on, but you actually record them. So you record the camera. So they're visual things. You record your own poem. Uh, and the whole site's fantastic. Uh, I mean, there's just loads and loads of posts. Some posts I'd heard of, a lot of other posts I'd never heard of in my life. I think some are kind of like me, you know, they're just trying their hand or whatever. Others are, are well known. So actually, I've been going into a lot more online poetry, particularly Scots poetry, and been reading lots more of it. So in that sense, I suppose I have kind of picked a wee box somewhere. I've been reading a bit of poetry. Good, good. Well, you've redeemed yourself. <laughs> I'm actually breaking the, my usual reading habit, and I'm reading two books at the moment. One during the day and one at night. So during the day, I'm reading David Copperfield, Charles Dickens. And actually, the reason I started reading it, and I w- I'd been listening to this podcast, and somebody had said on the podcast, and I was, I'm probably the last person in the world to know this, but if you've got an iPhone, there's a wee books icon on it. And if you go in, uh, iTunes have put a lot of books during the lockdown that you can download for nothing. And a lot of them are not the sort of books that I would read, but they've put up a lot of classics. So I just thought I'll, I'll download David Copperfield. I've got a hard copy in the house, but I thought I'll just, because it's free and I thought I'll see. So I started reading it on my phone and kind of get into it a wee bit. So then I just actually took the hard copy and I've started reading that and I'm, I'm really loving it. And I think it's really easy to read, but what I'm doing is I'm reading that during the day. And then at night, one of the books I'd mentioned uh, that I was going to read this year was a book called The White Ship by Charles Spencer, who actually, you'd asked me who he was. He's a historian, but he also is a Princess Di's younger brother. So oh, well. <laughs> um, so that's his other claim to fame. So he's that Spencer, right, okay. So mm-hmm. this book, and I'd managed to get a copy of it. Um, and again, it's this book about Henry the First, about how he comes to power, how he consolidates the power, and then the disaster that befalls him and in England when the white ship 
syncs with his air and all. I mean, the majority of his court. And so I've been reading that at night. It's fascinating. It's one of these like quite intensely packed historical books where there's just, I think he has to have so many, so much detail about who's who, who, who was fighting who, who was sleeping with who, who was born at a wedding like this. So it's quite trying to, I'm just reading a wee bit at a time because it's, you're trying to focus on, you know, all the main principal characters, but he tells a really good story and it's, it's really interesting. And as I say, normally I'm just a one book sort of reader, but I'm kind of splitting my time just now. See, I think that's nothing to do with, you know, just if it becomes part of your, your working life. I'm constantly shuffling books, you know, so more is the same, more only is, and I used to only read one book at a time. But I know if I, I have to, you know, so I've got these three or four different things that I'm kind of you know, punting and hoping to, but one of them or two of them will come off. So you end up reading quite a lot of different things. But I wouldn't choose to. I would choose to actually just try and read one book at a time, but it just it's just not the way it can be. What was interesting when I was saying to you about how I started reading David Copperfield on my phone, and it was actually, it was relatively easy to do. It's not something that I would normally do. And, and as I say, I'd rather just stick and have the actual physical copy of the book, which I, I read. But it's also in the back of my head, it's thinking if, if I end up somewhere and I've only got my phone, at least I can go find where I am in the book and then actually can sit on my phone and read. So I, I wonder sometimes maybe there are people but I'm thinking everybody just flicking through social media. There will be some people who will be reading books on their phone. You know, I saw something recently uh, on Facebook, and it was exactly that. And it was like a cartoon type thing. And everybody's on mobile phones, and there's one wee boy reading. And there's kind of like, oh, look at that. There's one wee boy reading, and everybody's on the mobile phone. And I think we, we, we talked before in one of these podcasts about, I've got his name now, a Scottish writer, who wrote his books on his phone, going to and from Edinburgh. Uh, on was was, uh, you'd mentioned Matt Bendoris. Matt Bendoris. So there's an assumption being made there which I think you're dead right that actually, you know, they, they, might, they might be in a book or, they, you know, they might be. I know my kids would never buy broadsheet newspapers, but they read more of them than I do all on the phone. And we took the Guardian because it's still free and a whole number of things. So actually there's an assumption that everybody's on just on Facebook or on social media or playing wee games, but, you know, probably quite a lot of people, you know, are reading James Joyce Ulysses, you know, <laughs> we've been snobby about it. Maybe they're the ones that you see that are looking absolutely miserable and bemused. <laughs> Now, obviously, people who are listening to this podcast and, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed, if you can subscribe, also spread the word. You know, the more people who, who listen, the better it is. And if you can leave a review or even just rate it, that's absolutely brilliant. But what I was wanting to do is also to recommend other podcasts that I've been listening to that I think people might be interested in. And the one that I've picked for this one is partly because I was listening to one of the episodes you're in it, and it's one of the productions from The Big Light which is the, the podcast company. They produce a whole range of really good podcasts. Actually, I've listened to quite a few, but the one I was going to mention is a thing called Unspeakable Scotland, where Janice Forsyth speaks to a guest and they, they talk about an infamous crime in Scottish history. And it's almost a kind of historical podcast, but it's really fascinating. Professor Willie Maley, he was on talking about, I think it was the Cross Hill Murders, just outside Bishop Riggs and the, when they were building the Glasgow to Edinburgh railway line back in the mid-19th century. Denise Miner's been on it, Almy Dermot. You were on it talking about the famous murder that inspired Kidnapped, which having listened to it makes me want to go back and read Kidnapped. But it's a really, I must admit, I think the, the podcast and the whole idea behind it, and the format of it, is absolutely captivating. And it's certainly kept me company on my daily walks. Yeah, I, lo I love doing that. And I thought it was a great idea. Um, I'm hoping they're going to do more of them. 
because uh, a number of good ones are Douglas Kelton, uh, who is who is Mr. True Crime Scotland. There's, there's nothing Douglas doesn't know about true crime, particularly in a Scottish context. He's really good at it. So I mean, he's got but he's got hundreds of stories. So there's a lot more material there about various unsolved. I think that was specifically are they all unsolved? I can't remember. Certainly the, the one for kidnaps unsolved. So yeah, I do that. That it's funny that that, that coming together, isn't it, of podcasting and true crime. The whole kind of kind of eruption of podcasting seemed to me to come out of true crime. It was that uh, what was that series called about the American murder again? It was called some like serial. Did you ever listen to serial? No. Uh, and that was the first time I really became aware of. It'd be about seven or eight years ago that you know and everybody was listening to serial, and it was the first podcast. Um, I, I never got around to listen to it, but I heard it was great. One of these ones again is on my list one day. But I heard people raving about it. So yeah, something about true crime and and podcasting seems to go down very very well. But there are lots of other podcasts around too. I mean, I, unlike you, I don't, I, I'm not as aware. I just wonder that, that slight age difference between you and me, Paul. I, I'm still not quite as kind of up to what's happening in the podcasting world, even though I've done a few, this one with you and with uh, Janice and people. Uh, but I've got two, one of which I've done before as well. And it's a guy called Dominic Black. And Dominic was an old friend. Dominic was a, was a Radio Scotland producer. And we made several documentaries together for Radio Scotland. Sadly, they don't do these anymore. Or if they do, they go straight on to BBC Sounds. But it was great work with Dominic, Northern Irish guy. And he's now living, well, actually, he's, he's such a globetrotter. I, I kind of get lost about where Dominic's living at any given time. I think he's in Seattle. But any, he has a number of different podcasts. They're always great. They're very international. They're very wide ranging. They tend to touch on books or be specifically about books and, you know, and almost everything that, that he does because he's, he's a very bookish guy. But the one which is maybe coming away slightly from a book podcast, but I just think everybody should listen to it. He does one called The Blarney Pilgrims, which is, there must be about 15 episodes in it now, and it's all about Irish music. And it is utterly phenomenal. And he does relate it quite often to other people. He's always got a different guest each time. And he quite often relates it to books and literature and poems and everything else. But it always goes back to quite often as musicians he's talking to. So I completely love everything that, that Dominic's done. He's, he's a really interesting one to look out for. And a kind of a style, I think, is not dissimilar to your own, Paul. It's, it's that kind of thing about, look, yeah, let's just chat about this for a while. And he just gets interesting people. And, he, you know, you ask good questions. And it can be quite funny. So Dominic Black's a good one. Because the thing I find is that basically I just Google things that interest me. It's mainly books, literature related reading, but sometimes music ones. Because the other one just I was going to mention is a podcast called Rockin' Tours with Gary Kemp, who's formerly of uh, Spandau Ballet, and Guy Pratt, who I think was in Roxy Music amongst other bands. I think he was in Pink Floyd as well. And they basically just get one of their kind of musical pals on for an hour to talk about their life, their career and, and what have you. And I think because they're so involved in music. It's quite fascinating. So it's, that's another one that I was, is well worth listening to. No, I, mean, I, I love, which is specifically about books. Again, I haven't heard as much as I would like to. Um, again, I'll just double check the, the title of it. It's, it's A Life in Books, is it called? It's like Books to Live By. You come across it. It's on BBC Sounds. And I'll come clean and say one of the reasons why I like it so much is it's presented by Mariella Frostrup, who has the best voice in every sense that I can think of. I just, that woman, she could, she could sell you anything. She's a brilliant broadcaster. She also has that ability to be, you know, to really know her stuff, but also be quite funny. And she's just got a terrific voice and she's got a really wide range of books and guests. So that's one that uh, I'll, if I'm going, you know, if I know I'm going to be out for an hour's walk, I'll, I'll download that or uh, listen to it. But she's really good. Is it actually I, and I've said to you before about in terms of music, you should listen to BBC Six Music. And I always recommend Lauren Laverne, who does, I think, half seven to half ten every morning. And it's one of those things where you, when you buy into it, you're going to hear some new stuff, some old stuff, 
some stuff you don't like, but other stuff that you've never heard. And it just, you think this is amazing. Where's it been all my life? I think she's got a brilliant voice for broadcasting. She also presents Desert Island Discs. So just in terms of just when you mentioned there about voices, she's another one who I think is is a brilliant broadcaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think she is. Uh, and, and this is, again, slightly kind of off-kilter from books down there. But I think, and uh, this is something I keep telling people all the time, I, I probably bored you, but at some point, I think one of the greatest programmes ever made in the history of all radios, it's not really a podcast, but it's available on BBC Sounds and as a podcast too. I think maybe it's an independent podcast too, is uh, Radio Scotland on a Saturday morning. It's called Out of Doors. And I'm going to forget the two guys' names in as well. Mark, somebody, and and somebody, Michael Wraith. You wouldn't think I was a complete nutter. I'm a, I'm a complete fan of these two. And I know can. It's just because this microphone's turned on. The minute I turn off, I remember the names. Uh, it is just phenomenal. And actually, it does have quite a, quite a literary content. So it's, it's just the two of them. And usually they're kind of sitting outside somewhere uh, talking. But they make little packages every week. So it's a two-hour-long program. They, they go, you and Michael Wraith. And you, Macarith, you know, is a pretty literary guy. So if, if they're talking about a particular species of bird or a particular mountain, you'll find literary references to it. And then and they quite often write, they write their own poetry to it and stuff. It is a phenomenal two hours. And it's just, it sees me as what everything this great radio stroke podcast should be about is people who just love what they do, do a bit of work on it. They're very funny together, the pair of them. It's absolutely brilliant. So there's a, there's a literary connection, but only just. Well, there's plenty of recommendations mm-hmm. after you've listened to all the Read About It podcasts, Absolutely. of course. Now, I promised you more book news, uh, which I've got for you now. Just a couple of things which, again, uh, caught my eye. And one of them was Joe Biden's inauguration as the 46th President of the United States. And in particular, the poem that was read by Amanda Gorman, who is only 22. She's the first National Youth Poet Laureate. And the, the poem was called The Hill We Climb which I just thought it was an extraordinary performance. And what was interesting when I was when I was thinking, I'm going to mention this, and just partly because obviously you'd mentioned you were going to read more poetry, and then you've, you've mentioned that's what you've been trying to do. And my first thought was, I wonder who did the, the inauguration poem for Donald Trump? It's not surprisingly, there wasn't one. There's actually only been four presidents in the United States who've had poetry included at their inauguration. John F. Kennedy back in 61, Bill Clinton in 93, 97, and then Barack Obama in 2009 and 2013. That was Maya Angelou, wasn't it? Well, it was Bill Clinton, actually, who... And Maya Angelou, was it? Maya Angelou, with uh, his Mm. first in 1993, Mm. and Joe Biden then in 2021. And so I'm not altogether surprised that there was no poetry at Donald Trump's (laughs) inauguration. But uh, it was a a phenomenal performance. And I kept thinking, see, when I was 22... I mean, the thought of performing in front of anybody would have been horrific. I couldn't have written anything that would have been worthy of performance. The only thing that interested me when I was 22 was whether Celtic were going to win the double in their centenary, which will certainly for Celtic fans will age me. It was back in 1988. But I I just thought, you know, and what was a quite, obviously a special day, and particularly for people who were relieved at the way the result had gone in that election, I thought it was a particular highlight. I'm going to get polemic on it. I've not told you about my my wandering into the, the polemics of this poem, no? No. Right, okay. Uh, so I watched it and then I, I put on Facebook and various other WhatsApp sites and stuff like that. I said, you know, that uh, uh, Amanda Gorman was extraordinarily uh, inspiring, impressive, credible story. And she delivered an impassioned and rather wonderful speech. That is not a poem. So I put this on saying that's not a poem. I've 
and I've got this kind of thing about a lot of kind of new poetry is just people, and I have to say young people, telling you what they think. And I well, that that's not what poetry is. You know, that that's a speech. It's probably a thing about, and, and I've often do it with students uh, in drama. Uh, you know, have you ever been in a theatre when you want to scream out halfway through it, honestly, I'll sign the petition, I'll go in the march, but let me out of this theatre because you're <laughs> just lecturing me about something that, generally speaking, I already think. So that, that was fine. And I put on Facebook and actually quite a lot of people support it. Actually, I didn't start it. I didn't have the, the, the nerve to start it. Uh, Jane Harris started it, writer, uh, Scottish writer, based in London, and a few people piled in. So I got in that point, thought, okay, other people think this too. And so I got and said the same thing. So that was all fine, and it seemed to be that I had you know, some respectable people agreeing with me. And it so happened that that night or the next night, I had a, a family Skype. So my, my son's 27, my daughter's 29, and we'd all been watching the inauguration. And I said this, man, what a roasting I got. I mean, also, people <laughs> just went mental and said, you know, you know you're, I don't know, you, you may know about poetry, but you, I, mean, you, you just, I just felt so old at the end of it, you know, because they, they just said, you just don't get it, you know. I know you think poetry should all be a bit more thoughtful, a bit more kind of fixed. I thought, I just thought that poem Amanda Gorman's needed to go to another three or four drafts because, you know, it rhymed at times and it didn't and it could have went over here and then over there. And I thought, it's lovely, but it's a speech. And they'll say, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's informed by, by hip hop and that stuff about, you know, metaphors and all that stuff. Hip hop deliberately doesn't do that. It just doesn't. It's not trying to be some kind of, as they would say, elitist idea this is people talking straight from the heart, and she was phenomenal. So I had to get a step back and go, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely gave me a roasting. So I just shows you. So I, I did climb down. I actually did climb down on Facebook as well. So you know what? In the end of the day, it's taste. For me, I thought it was great. I still think it was a speech. Uh, not poem. <laughs> and if, yeah. you're, if your kids are listening to this, they're going to be on texting you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At the other end of the, the writing scale, if Amanda Gorman's only 22 and starting out, Danielle Steele, who seems to have been about forever, she's 73, and she's apparently got six new books coming out in 2021 between March and November this year. And it was just a wee post that was put up on social media, and apparently she writes at an enormous desk that is handcrafted to look like a stack of her best-selling books while wearing <laughs> a cashmere robe and snacking on chocolate bars. I love and it. I think fantastic. That's it. That's, he's living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, she is bringing out half a dozen new hardback books. Half a dozen. Yeah. So the first one's out in oh, March the second, and it's March, April, July, August, October, and November, which is just phenomenal. I suppose a phenomenal output. So talk, talk about taking Ali Smith on and going, you're doing one a season. I'll do one a month. Absolutely. Which <laughs> brings me seamlessly on to the the next thing I was going to mention was just some books that have caught my eye that are coming out in 2021. And obviously books are going to be coming out throughout the year, but it was, I was trying to choose uh, some books that have either just come out or are just about to come out. The first one is a, a book called The Swallowed Man by a guy called Edward Carey. I follow him on Twitter. He is the husband of Elizabeth McCracken, who's one of my favourite American writers. Uh, Edward's an English writer and illustrator. And throughout lockdown, from the first day of lockdown over in the United States, he's, he's drawn a kind of pencil sketch every day, which he posts. He's actually got it, because at times he sometimes posts a picture of all these like small portraits of either people or things, depending on what's been in the news, you know, spread out across his kitchen floor. The book, The Swallowed Man, is his imagining of the life of Geppetto, who was Pinocchio's father, in the years that he was in the belly of the sea beast. It sounds amazing. It actually sounds just that. It's one of those ones where you think, brilliant idea 
and he's obviously going to use illustrations as well to go with that. So that's I think that's just come out this week. Uh, Have you ever read I, the, the Little Prince? No, I never know how to pronounce it. Saint Uxbury. That just reminds me of that because it's, it's it's an illustrated book as well. It's an incredibly beautiful book, and the, the first image in it is a, a snake that's followed an elephant. Uh, and and that guy's work kind of I mean, I've seen some of the stuff online, and, and it kind of is reminiscent of it. So I think you're right. That sounds like a great book. The other one that I was I wanted to mention. The Strong Words magazine, I've mentioned this before. I got it here. It's a great magazine. And I had Ed Needham, who's the editor, as a previous guest. So what he's been doing, he's been posting retweets about books he's been reading. One was called Hurdy Gurdy by Christopher Wilson. And it's a book set in the 14th century. And it's set amongst the, a monastery with this group of monks. And the main character is a novice monk who they're having to deal with plague victims of having to go and treat them. It's a kind of very, very dark comedy. But it's very, you know, obviously given current circumstances, it's very, very interesting. And that, again, that sounds like a, another book that I think is well worth reading. And the, the Scottish book, I wanted to mention a Scottish book that's just come out. Uh, it's a book called Luckin' Booth by Jenny Fagan. And mm. if I read you this, the kind of wee description of it, if I didn't know anything about it, as soon as, as, soon as I read this, I thought, this sounds amazing. So the description of the book is, The Devil's Daughter Rose to the Shores of Leith in a Coffin. The year is 1910 and she's been sent to a tenement building in Edinburgh by her recently deceased father to bear a child for a wealthy man and his fiancée. The harrowing events that follow lead to a curse in the building and its residents, a curse that will last for the rest of the century. And I thought, wow. <laughs> I'm Fantastic. That. Yeah, exactly. That sounds brilliant. And she's a great writer. Uh, also a great writer, Jenny Fagan. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's got, a, you know, again, it's one of those books that you just start to see a lot of traction, a lot of really positive reviews and response to it on, on social media. So it's certainly a book that I'm going to try and read. Yeah, uh, fancy. I, looked, I saw that as well and I really fancied it. I've got two or three books coming out by Scottish writers as well. I don't know exactly when they're all coming out, so we may end up talking about them more detail later on. But 2021 looks to me like being a really great year, or at least kind of from my taste, there's an awful lot of stuff coming out. I think that oh, looks great. First of all, Graham McRae Burnett, who did uh, His Bloody Project, which I think is a phenomenal book. But I really like his French books as well. Uh, his new book, I do remember the name of the title, this is called Case Study, and it sounds like it's another one of these books. He, he does this kind of quite clever thing about you're not quite sure. He does in all his books. You're not quite sure of what you're reading is true, part of the fiction, actually real, you know, everything's kind of through different people's eyes and different reports. And it just sounds amazing, Case Study. Uh, I think that's not until about um, summer or, or even autumn before it comes out. It's going to be good. I think much, I think more in the next couple of months, I think, and in fact, the next few weeks, I think, uh, you know, that Ian Rankin has, has written the, the last Laidlaw. Uh, oh, I, can't, I can't wait for this. I know, The Dark Remains. I mean, in some ways you worry about it, don't you? Because, you know, I, I love Rankin. I've adapted a lot of his stuff for radio and he's great. I'm a, I'm a William McIlvany complete, you know, uh, Bobby Soxer. I just think he's astonishing. So you slightly worry that actually these two great talents who are very, very, very different writers, you know. So I'm kind of fascinated by how that's going to work out. McIlvain is that kind of really great epigrammatic, the fantastic wee phrase and stuff like that. He's quite literary in, in his way of writing, whereas Rankin's no, I think Rankin's very literary kind of over the whole kind of oeuvre of, you know, 20-odd novels of Rebus. It's, it's like a great kind of body of work, but in novel by novel, they're a bit more straightforward in, in the way they're written. But it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I'm, it, sure, that's, it's a, I'm, I'm sure it must be quite nerve-wracking for him in a way, because, as you say, because he's taken on this, Big literary, a literary character, but also a big literary figure in, in McIlvany. Absolutely. I mean, you could, you could, you know, there's going to be big McIlvany fans. And there's lots of people like McIlvany and don't like Rankin, and people like Rankin don't like McIlvany. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. There's so many people, particularly now that, you know, McIlvany is not that long dead. He's become kind of a godlike figure. So 
it's a bit like somebody deciding to redo Sgt. Pepper's, you think, or do, or worse that do, the, the next Sgt. Pepper's the one the Beatles didn't do. Whoa, blow me out. That's, <laughs> that's a, bit of a, a bit of an ask, you know? So I suspect you're right. I think it's, it's brave of them to do it. And I suspect there'll be some people somewhere who have decided already they're not going to like it. But I, I think he'll do a good job of it. And I'm, I'm just fascinated to see what he'll do. Just when you mentioned the Beatles there, I just it's just that classic Alan Partridge line, Wings, the band the Beatles could have become. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a possibility of looking at with uh, Rankin's novel. And uh, another seamless link then in terms of just mentioning music. And we, we generally haven't rehearsed this, it just comes naturally. Is uh, I wanted to mention one of the podcasts that's going to be coming up on February the 8th, and that's uh, I spoke to Stuart Braithwaite from the band Mogwai, oh. uh, which was absolutely brilliant. He's, he's a good he's a good guy. I've spoken to him before because he's a he's a big Celtic fan as well. But I absolutely love Mogwai, um, and here's just a wee taste of what's going to be coming up on the podcast. I think I like the imagination of it. It's also Roald Dahl's books are the only ones I could really remember reading when I was when I was a wee boy, and uh, I actually saw the the film, the old film of it again recently, and it's it's quite dark. So I, I like that, and I, I get the vibe that he didn't actually really like kids. He's kind of like punishing these kids for being greedy and being cheeky and all this kind of stuff. So no, I, I like it. I love the imagination. I love him kind of going in the elevator at the end through the roof, and I still remember that was the follow up to the great glass elevator, which I loved as well. And yeah, it's, it's one of the few things that's really kind of stuck with me. I think even though it's for kids, it's not, it's not kind of sickly sweet or anything. There's a wee bit of, a bit of darkness to it. And yeah, very, very funny, very funny book. I think I've mentioned to, to you before about this that, and we've definitely chatted about it of when you're writing, you know, what do you listen? I always like to listen to music, but obviously I couldn't listen to whether it's Duran Duran or the Beatles or some things that you would start singing along with. So it's always more instrumental. And I listen to Mogwai an awful lot when I'm writing. I love, I love their music anyway, but I, I find it's really good music to kind of, you zone out of everything else, but because they're not really get sing along songs as such, you're able to still focus on your writing and, uh, so I was really thrilled to speak to Stuart, but I was wondering, what do you listen to when you're writing? Well, like you, um, it kind of words, basically, uh, at least not in a language I understand, or they're not. I mean, I see some like Mogwai, every now and then, you know, they do have uh, words in their songs, but they're kind of so much part of the music, they kind of, you know, they, they flow over you, so it doesn't really matter. So Mogwai is one of the bands I've listened to for years and I'm writing, because it's essentially, it's got that kind of drive to it and everything else. But I, I'm, I'm an obsessive, you know, I'm, I come from the day of making the, cassettes for for pals and stuff like that so mixtapes you know, mixtapes so i did it for years i mean i did it you know, for ages and then when the cds come out i started making for years i wouldn't go to anybody's house if anybody's house for you know dinner or whatever instead of bringing a bottle away well i bring a bottle away as well but also bring a, a mixed uh, tape I'm, I'm convinced that i always enjoyed making these more than anybody ever enjoyed listening to them i just really liked it so spotify now and uh, various other things and itunes and stuff you can have big long lists so i have one called writing which has now got about, so it's about three days worth of music on it. Just tracks that uh, come across. And so they're a real mix. So I, I like flamenco music. Again, not, not the tracks that I really, really like and know very well because I kind of tend to sing along to or play air guitar to them. So not them, but just artists that I like and, you know, just guitar music. I like jazz, certain types of classical. It can't be that kind of, you know, too wide-ranging classical, big, big build-ups of things and then all that and then suddenly explodes. It has to be kind of, you know, 
So I've got all these, I've got loads and loads of things, which are music, tends to be kind of mid-tempo. But even then, and I, and I can't tell you what it is, Paul, but sometimes I'm writing away and there's a track on, that's great, and I don't, don't particularly notice now, I'm just writing away. And then another track will come on and I'll go, no, it's <laughs> wrong. I, don't, I have no idea why that track is not right for what I'm writing now. And I have to click over a couple of times to get to something. That's right, that'll do it. And I can't quite tell what it is. Just certain tracks seem to go with certain things you're writing and then other things don't. And it seems slightly mystical to me about why that is. Because it's funny, like, as I say, the, the podcast is brilliant with Stuart and they've got a new album coming out towards the end of February called As The Love Continues. But actually, although I'm talking about how I love to listen to them and it's mostly instrumental, they've released one of the songs ahead of it. It's a song called Richie Sacramental, which he does sing on it. I mean, it's a phenomenally good song. The other thing you just mentioned there, again, just it's a sign of our age that of mixtapes, which was just such a, a part of growing up and part of the kind of the courtship ritual, shall it we was, say. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's a book I got, I picked this book up just before Christmas. I haven't got around to reading it yet. And it's called Mixtape and it's a kind of kind of romance, a, a love story. And obviously, you know, it certainly goes from back in the day when mixtapes were a thing to the present day and obviously music and love. And it just it was the title that caught my eye, and I thought I'm I'm going to get that, and I'm going to at some point I'm going to read it. It's just, it's on my my never ending list of books to read, but I just like the I like the whole concept of it. It's one of the things that we've lost through kind of online music because there's now no point because you can access it. So what 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 I end up doing is just email people to say well, listen to this, you know. We do have like a lot of people have now. Uh, we've got a family, I've got one family, one another, particular bunch of friends where we we have a thing where each week. We're supposed to update it. We don't necessarily always do it. We just put on a song for that week. And it's always great because it's somebody else's taste. And so sometimes you're not that bothered, but it's all right. But every now and then you hear a track by an album, by an artist you've never heard before in your life. You go, that's phenomenal. And you get into a new artist. But I really do miss the physical thing of actually having some, being given a mixtape. And I, I thought it worked brilliant for CDs, by the way. I, I used to spend loads of time making the covers for them. Whereas in the mixtapes, you didn't bother. You just wrote it on the wee, in the wee slip inside the, the cassette box. I suppose in theory, I mean, if you, I mean, if you were certainly, if you were younger and you maybe get out with someone and you could, I suppose you could make up a Spotify playlist for them. I suppose it's not quite, it's not, there's not a physical thing, but I suppose that's, that's of its time that you would still, somebody could still make up a Spotify playlist specifically for you. And that would mean something to you, I suppose. It's just not the same. It's not 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 the same. It's not the same. They don't know what they're missing out on those young ones. You do realise that there'll be people listening to this show and startle on the floor. <laughs> Terrible farts. We, we are, we're almost uh, coming to the end of the Extra Extra Read All About It podcast. And the last thing I just wanted to talk about was obviously things that we've obviously talked about, things that we have read, things that we're currently reading or things that we plan to read. And there was a couple of books that I wanted to mention. One was, it's a book, the, the next podcast episode that's coming out is with a guy called Hayden McQuaid, who is from... I think he's from Armagh. He's a, an anti-slavery and human rights consultant, but he's also written this novel called The Undiscovered Country, which is set in an island just in the I think 1920 during the War of Independence. It's a crime novel, but all the kind of politics and everything of the, the time. Really, really good novel. It's a brilliant episode of the podcast. He's just a fascinating guy, Aidan, and uh, it was brilliant talking to him. And one of the books, he just happened to mention it in passing. It wasn't even one of his choices. It was a book called Reading in the Dark by Seamus Dean which was apparently shortlisted for the Booker Prize back in 1996. He said it's one of the best, if not one of the the best Irish novel of the 20th century. It's set in Derry from the period of roughly around about 1920, roughly from partition, just before partition, right up to the civil rights movement and then the troubles just kicking off. 
I'd looked it out because I knew, as soon as he said it, I thought, I'm sure I've got that book. So I'm going to read that. And the other book I'm wanting to read is a book by an American author called Jane Smiley, who won the Pulitzer Prize for a, a novel, A Thousand Acres, which is a, a brilliant book. She's written this novel called The Strays of Paris. And I'm actually hoping, uh, Touchwood, that at some point it's coming out shortly that to get her on the podcast, which would be, for me, is amazing because she's a, she's a really good writer. I've read three or four of her books. So obviously I want to read that and, but it would be great to get her on the podcast. So that's what that's what my reading plans are over the next uh, couple of weeks. Well, mine are almost exactly the same as what I said back in back in December because I haven't got into many of them yet or any of them. The one that's at the very top of that, only one I'll mention at the very top of that is because I've noticed the one of the books I said I wanted to read has Linda Cracknell's Doubling Back. Now, Linda Cracknell, I kind of know and I've read bits of things, but I've never actually read a full book. And I've always liked everything that Linda's written. And there's a number of connections between us she wrote in the same part of Spain as I did, various things like that. But I, I now need to re- read this book really quickly because she's got a new one coming out at the end of this next month, I think, or maybe it's, it might even just be about out now. So I've got to read Dublin back before I read the novel, I think it is, that's coming out now. So Yeah, it's funny, I, when I was just looking at books that were coming out and the Scottish Book Trust had put out a list of, you know, some of the Scottish novels I'm looking forward to in 2021. So right away that rang a bell. It's, the book's called The Other Side of Stone. It's coming out in March right. and it's a, a collection of linked stories reflecting uh, the lives connected to Persia woolen mill across 200 years. So uh, I, you better get your skates on. Aye, and I need to get Dublin Bank read, read first. Uh, the other one, just to, to say it's coming out too, uh, and I wonder if it was on that site, but uh, a guy's kind of quite important to me because I, I wouldn't have written everything passes unless I'd had this conversation with an ordinary base, but from the Hebrides writer called uh, Donald Murray, Donald S. Murray is his proper uh, kind of writing name. Um, and he's got a new book coming out, the title escapes me there. But his, his first novel, he's written several non-fiction books, but his last novel, was, and the first one he wrote, uh, as a lit womanly dreaming, is a phenomenal novel. And this is another one set in Lewis again. Uh, so I think that's coming out quite soon. So they're very high up my list that I would really like to read. Excellent. Well, I hope that uh, for everybody listening that we've given them uh, some more reading recommendations. That's always the, the thing that we're always trying to do is, is give people kind of ideas of books that they, they might want to check out. And if anybody wants to get in touch at all, the Read All About It podcast is on Twitter. It's at Read All About 20. If you want to get in touch about anything to do with the podcast, you can just give me a shout on that. And we shall be back this time next month, probably at the end of the, the end of uh, February with the next episode. I'm going to, I'm going to extra, extra, get, read all about it. I'm going to read a hell of a lot for then. So this is, this is getting competitive now. So that, that Paul Cuddy's read another 14 books. I'm going to have to read 15. Well, listen, you've, you've now, you've now set, set yourself. You've said that in public. You're going to have to stick to it, Chris. <laughs> no chance. Uh, but that was uh, some good book chat there. And I look forward to, to Thanks, Paul. Again. Great. Fun as ever. <laughs>